This is the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast with Lindsay Elizabeth Preston, episode 199. Are you insecurely attached? Welcome to the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast, the show for barrier-breaking women who are ready to shed their good girl layers so they can own their power and live deeply fulfilling lives instead. I'm your host, Lindsay Elizabeth. I'm a leadership coach to women all over the world. And I've lived through enough in life to know that easier doesn't always equate to better. We can't fear the fire, we must learn to become it. And on this show, I'll teach you how to do just that. So join me and my guests as we challenge you to shed society's bullshit systems and beliefs to become even more of the strong, resilient, and powerful woman you were meant to be. As you listen, trust your intuition to take what you love and leave the rest. The thoughts and perspectives I share on the show are my own with the lens of my lived experience as a privileged, white, cis, straight, able-bodied woman. And while that informs my experience and perspectives, I wholeheartedly believe living a deeply fulfilling life is possible to every woman. If I ever say anything harmful, I'm open to doing better and hearing your feedback. My goal is for you to leave this show feeling empowered, inspired, and ready to share this show with every woman you know so they too can create a life that lights them the fuck up from the inside. Are you ready to get started? Let's go. Hi there, beautiful soul. Woo, episode 199. Can you believe it? Only one more after this one. And we are ending with a bang with today's episode. We are talking about attachment theory. Attachment theory is a psychological theory developed by John Bowlby in the late 1950s. This theory came about because he was studying the negative impact of maternal deprivation on young children. And as he observed mothers with their children, he began to see patterns that later developed into three attachment styles. Now, just hearing that, you may be like, whoa, Lindsay, this episode is going to be boring, or maybe you think this is going to be above my head because you're not a cycler nerd like me who loves this kind of stuff, but you are wrong, my friend. You are so wrong. What I'm going to teach you today is fascinating because if you are insecurely attached, which we'll break down what that means in a bit, then your relationships are likely suffering because of it. Until you're aware you're insecurely attached and start taking steps to heal that, you will likely stay stuck in what feels like a hamster wheel in your relationships, romantic and otherwise, because they're going to feel unfulfilling, if not downright gut-wrenching and heartbreaking over and over and over again. And life is already hard enough, right? Ain't nobody got the time or the energy or the desire for gut-wrenching and heartbreaking. Am I right? Lord knows some of us have already had those experiences and cannot take on the trauma of another one. So today's episode is huge. It will not be boring and it will not be above your head because I've spent hours making sure I break down this concept for you in a way you understand because you deserve to have incredible 
incredible relationships in your life. And I believe this episode will help show you if your attachment style is to blame for you not having those. Okay, so today we're going to break down those four different attachments. I said earlier, John Bowlby came up with three. Later research shows there's actually four types of attachments and three of those four are considered insecure. So you're going to understand today from this episode, am I securely attached or insecurely attached? And if you're secure, great. You'll have the reassurance that if and when relationship struggles occur, it's likely not due to attachment style and you can problem solve in other ways. But if you're insecure, which spoiler alert, I am too, and I'm healing from it, then you're aware that you need help here and we'll talk through what you can do to help heal yourself, okay? Before we break down the four attachment styles, I wanna touch a little bit more on attachment theory in general so you get a clear picture of why your attachment style impacts every relationship that you have, okay? So attachment, when it's defined in attachment theory, it's the bond or tie between an individual and an attachment figure. So most times it's an infant and the mother figure. Not all the times, but most times, okay? So as children, we obviously rely heavily on our caregiver or givers to meet our needs, right? We need food from them, we need to be changed by them, we need them for safety and security, we need them for love and bonding and all the things. They meet every single one of our needs, hopefully. And so what happens is we start to adapt to getting our needs met from our caretakers. Otherwise we could die, okay? So again, if you're securely attached, what happens is your caregiver meets your needs in a very empathetic way, they're responsive to your needs, and they're consistent in the way that they are responding to your needs in that way, okay? When you become insecurely attached, that caregiver or caregivers is not showing up in a consistent way. Or they may be showing up in a consistent way, but they're just not meeting all of your needs, okay? So our attachment style even if it's one that makes us feel like crap, is a survival mechanism because we need our caretaker to meet our needs. So again, if you learn as a baby, oh, okay, I have to diminish my needs, otherwise I will overwhelm my caretaker and they won't come and help me out. Even if you're suffering on the inside to hold in your feelings, you will do that because you realize that's what I have to do in order to get food or to be held, or whatever, okay? So it happens pretty quickly. Research shows that by the end of the first year of life, our attachment style can be seen. So this happens fast. You've got your first year of life, and bam, you got an attachment style, and if it's one that's considered insecure, you are automatically at a disadvantage to 50% of the population who has a secure attachment. Because here's the deal. Those with secure attachment learn how to bond in healthy ways with other humans. They use others to help them regulate their emotions and regulate fear so they can be a fully expressed human being who does things like takes risks and they're just overall healthier in general because as we know, unprocessed emotions cause dis-ease, right? So simply put, securely attached people, they just live a pretty fucking amazing life that make the other 50% of us that feel insecurely attached constantly feel like we're doing something wrong. 
because they make life look too damn easy. They're adaptive. They grow. They connect with others. They tend to just thrive with needing little to no psychological or mental help. Why is this? It's because our attachment style monitors the state of our relationships. It guides our emotions and behaviors within them. Research indicates that having secure attachment is the best predictor of happiness in relationships. Happiness, meaning you have commitment, trust, and satisfaction within your relationships. So if you are insecurely attached, you are screwed with having healthy, happy relationships until you learn how to heal your insecure attachment and become securely attached. This is why I said this episode is so important. If you are insecurely attached, you need healing and support, and this episode is the start of that for you, okay? Now, before we jump into the four attachment styles, I want to just give you a little insight of what inspired this episode, because you're like, Lindsay, you're saying this episode's so important. Why is it episode 199? Here's my background on attachment theory. I was a psychology major at TCU. And I believe we even had a whole class on attachment theory. And one of, I guess, I don't know what his title is, director maybe of the psychology department, like that was his area of study. And we even spent time with kids who had been adopted from overseas and really traumatic situations and these orphanages where like they weren't even fed and horrible, horrible things. And we were helping the parents and studying them and doing all this attachment stuff. So I was in attachment very early on in my career, in essence. And what's so interesting is I understood attachment very well as a practitioner, right? Of like, okay, here's what secure attaches, here's what this is, here's what that is, blah, blah, blah. And it's even something I've presented to clients over the years. You know, if somebody listening out there did Unstoppable, the 2.0 version with me, we talked about attachment and it was just kind of brought up of like, hey, here's the four types, kind of decide on your own which one you think. And, you know, it was kind of near the middle of the process too and a way to show them like, hey, look at how you're growing. You're already becoming more securely attached likely because you're less anxious and less this and less that. And so again, like I knew about it, I touched on it and it wasn't until just a few months ago specifically November of 2022, so right now it's January 2023, so just like two months ago, I got into a really big argument with my husband. And it wasn't like an argument of like, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. It was I put myself out there in a way where I opened myself up to him and I felt extremely rejected by him. I'm not gonna get into all the details because my kids may listen to the show one day and it's just, I don't wanna go there. But I felt extremely rejected by him and I went to him the next day and I said, listen, I'm done putting myself out there to you. I am tired of you standing me up and rejecting me in that. And he did not meet me with empathy. He came back with anger and it sparked this huge moment for me where I raged, I cried, I sobbed. I just was finally able to lean into how deep rejection can be for me. And by me leaning into those feelings and letting all of that out, I was able to start to see it from a different perspective. And what came to me next was, 
Lindsay, pull out your journals from the past 10 years, because I've been journaling for that long off and on, and start to really see how long have you been unhappy in your marriage? Because at this time too, when we had this argument, I was at a point of, oh my God, like we're here again. I've spent another year on this. It's not getting better. Here I am with my business. I've kind of stayed at the same level with the amount of clients that I have and the income that I have. And I've been wanting to grow the past two years because I've been so focused on this marriage. And I was just like, I cannot do this another fucking year. Like I am so done. I have to move on. But again, something called me, Lindsay, go look at your journals. Go see like how long you have felt this way in this relationship. Because, you know, it's been a blur, right? Jason and I have been together nine years at that point. And um, I was like, you know, has it been the whole time I've been unhappy and I've just kind of denied it? Has it just been since we've had our son? Has it been from the pandemic, right? I just needed to know. So I pulled these journals and what I saw next fucking rocked my world. I started to read how every month, and it may not have been every month, but pretty close, would be like, oh, I miss Jason. I want him to, you know, come closer to me in essence. I want to work on our relationship. Then we would be in a good spot. And then it would turn into, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this relationship. I don't know if this relationship is right for me. And it went over and over and over again in my journals. And it's one of those moments, you know, when you have an aha, it's like the whole ground shakes. And I like couldn't even see straight. And I'm like, oh my God, how did I miss this? This is a pattern I've had for at least 10 years now holy shit. Oh my God. You know, and and part of it, I didn't really put together attachment yet. I'll get to that in a minute. But I was putting together, Lindsay, you've gotten yourself in a relationship that you knew from the start felt off to you. And I just felt sick, right? And so I kind of took a day or two, maybe even longer to digest that and really sit with that. Because again, it was like, groundbreaking, earth-shattering kind of awareness. And all of a sudden, I don't remember what I was doing, but I just kept hearing the message in my ear, attachment theory, attachment theory, attachment theory. And this is the same voice that I heard whenever I was going through my divorce and I saw my daughter run off into the arms of my ex-husband. And I just felt like so weak in that moment and so scared because he was doing some really shitty things. And I heard this voice say to me, Lindsay, are you done? Like, are you done putting up with this shit? Like, it's time for you to own your power and like step into who you're meant to be because this girl needs you and you deserve it. And I always used to think like, what was that voice? Was that my higher self? Like whatever. And I really believe it's just like my most authentic self. Some woo people call it your higher self. So it's still me, but it's like the most evolved version of me. Okay. But regardless, she is saying to me, attachment theory, attachment theory, attachment theory. And I'm talking back to her, right? And I'm going, yeah, I know attachment theory. I've already been there. I don't need to learn about this again. And I just keep hearing it. Attachment theory, attachment theory, attachment theory. And so then I was like, okay, all right, maybe there's like a quiz or something I can take to fully test what my attachment style is. Because in the past, you just kind of read about each attachment and you're like, oh yeah, I think I might be this one or this one or whatever. And so I Googled attachment style quiz. One popped up, I took it right away and I got the attachment style. And I sat there with the information that then she presented to me. And I was like, oh 
my God. I was like, this is it. This is why I keep doing come closer, go away. This is like everything just started to make sense to me. And again, it was like that another earth shattering moment of like, oh my God, like how did I miss this? Again, as a like practitioner, a coach, I was like, damn, Lindsay, like I started beating myself up and luckily I stopped myself in that. And it was just like, nope, you're not gonna go there. You need to just feel the feelings at hand, which is, you know, shock and sadness and anger and all the things. And I just started leaning into, okay, this is where I'm at. Like, this is what it is. And I had my husband go take the quiz and he ended up getting the same attachment style that I have. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is why we're doing this to each other. And I'm going to give more specific details when we get to that attachment type, because it's the last one I'm actually going to cover. And so, yeah, I was just like, oh my God, like, this is why we keep getting in this dance and this pattern that feels like shit, even though we love each other. And we had even talked about after we had that fight, I was like showing him my journals and I was like, I don't know what to do here. And we sat there in this moment of just deep sadness with both of us looking at each other like, I love you. And he was like, I love you. And we work so good together, but why can't we make this work? And again, it's come back to attachment style. And so since we've opened our eyes to this, I've made some changes. He's made some changes. And oh my God, it's been incredible. And granted, it's only two months in, but it's been so eye-opening. And so if I can give you just even a taste of what I've experienced, it will be mind-blowing to you, okay? All right, so all that to say, let's get into the four attachment styles so you can start to see once and for all which one you are, all right? Number one, let's cover secure, all right? So I wanna go back and kind of talk about what Bowlby, remember Bowlby was the researcher who came up with this theory, saw in the toddlers that he was researching, okay, or observing. Because you'll start to think about too likely how you were as a kid. And I even want you to put yourself in the shoes of you now. And if you were to, you know, encounter your parent, like they were to rock into a room, how would you respond to them? Okay. Because as I talk through how these toddlers respond to their parents, I believe that you will probably still respond in the same way unless you've done healing work. Okay, so toddlers who were considered securely attached, they explore freely when their caregiver's present, they engage with strangers, and they get visibly upset when the caregiver leaves, but then they're happy to see them when they return, right? It just seems like a normal, happy, healthy kid, right? They're like, oh, there's my mom or my dad or whoever, and I'm gonna go talk to these strangers because I know that they're there. But when they leave, oh, I get a little sad, but then, you know, I kind of just move on and I get over it. And then when they come back, oh my gosh, their arms are open and they run to their parents and they're so excited to see them, right? I remember as my kids have been growing up, I, again, knew enough to know about attachment, right? And I would observe how did they interact with me when I came back from like dropping them off at school or whatever, right? And when they would come back and run into my arms and be happy to see me, I would get that reassurance of, oh, good, they have some secure attachment here. That's great, right? So think about you too, right? If you were to see your parents today and they were to walk into a room, would you be happy to see them? Would you be like, yay, I'm so glad you're here, okay? That's gonna give you an indication if you're securely attached. 
So secure attachment, as I said earlier, it comes from a caregiver that's attentive to the needs of the child to create that secure attachment. These kids feel like they can explore because they have knowledge that their secure base, their caregiver, will be there in times of need. So whenever they need that caregiver, then the child goes to that person, they give them reassurance, they bolster their sense of security and helps them handle the problem in the future. I always think about too, like taking my kids to the playground. So I'll sit there on the bench, I let them go and explore, they come back and they kind of look at me and wave at me and sometimes they'll run to me for different things of that reassurance of like, oh, you're still here. And I'm like, yeah, here I am, go ahead, go on down the slide or go climb your thing. They'll go talk to some kids and then say something happens. Like this happened with my son the other week, he's four. He went and he went up to a kid, really wanted to play with him. The kid said, no, I don't wanna play with you. Well, then my son, Denver, ran back to me and needed my reassurance to say, it's okay, baby. Like, he just doesn't want to play right now. It'll be okay. Why don't you go and let's go swing together. And then we went and like swung together. So when you're seeing that with a child, that's a great sign. If you felt that way as a child, that's a great sign, right? And we'll talk about more in a bit when we talk about healing your attachment style, what it feels like to be secure. So if you really just want to wait around and make sure you're secure, stay tuned for getting to those tips, okay? But most people who are secure, they probably aren't listening to a podcast like this. They probably aren't looking at hiring a life coach or going to a therapist. Now that's a huge generalization, right? But as I said earlier, secure people just like kind of have a good life and they just make it look easy. And the rest of us, they're like, why is it so hard for you? Like, I just kind of show up and like everything happens in my favor. And you know, when things don't happen in my favor, I just kind of get over it, okay? So that's secure attachment. The next style of attachment is one that's considered insecure and it's called anxious attachment. 20% of the population has anxious attachment. So whenever Bulby was observing those toddlers back in the day, right, these toddlers would explore very little and they would be weary of strangers even if the caregiver was present. Then when the caregiver left, the child would get highly distressed. You know, those are the kids that are like having huge fits on the floor, ah, kind of thing. Then the caregiver returns and the child wasn't easily consoled by the caregiver. They were still anxious. It wasn't like, oh, okay, my safety net is here. It was more like, oh, okay, I'm still just holding on to this anxiety. So this style of attachment happens because the parent is misattuned to the child's needs or they're inconsistent with parenting. So the way that I've seen this a lot, just observing like kids and parents that I'm around in you know my kids' world, it's it's kind of helicopter parenting of like, oh, you okay? You okay? You need that? You need that? You need that? And so the the parent is highly anxious, and so then the child feeds off that energy and they become highly anxious, right? So that's where I see it a lot. I can see it too of like you know I don't know kind of what kind of parenting I'm gonna get, so I'm just anxious all the time. Yeah, it's 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 a tricky one, right? And I'm just gonna be super vulnerable with you in this, is that this style of attachment has fed into my daughter's life because my daughter, you know, experienced divorce between her dad and I when she was two. And, you know, really like three was when we started to have different custody times and things of that. Before that, she was securely attached and it was beautiful and amazing. And then when she started to have time at his house where I wasn't there, 
because I had been a stay-at-home mom and again like super attuned to her needs and all those things and he wasn't and I was gone she started to feel this anxiety of okay I, I don't know am, am I gonna get my needs met today how's it gonna be how's my dad gonna show up because he's very volatile my safety net is gone and so when she comes back to me and I even see this now she gets this sigh of relief <sighs> Like my mom's back and usually then she'll have emotion sometimes. It's gotten better, but I'll see this happen in her. And it's been heartbreaking. You know, that's a total side note because I know enough to know of like, oh, fuck, fucking anxious attachment, right? And we've got to make sure she gets to secure. And so that's kind of what can happen too, right? It's just like this child that's like, you know, it's just inconsistent in their home. I will say that anxious attachment has a variety of names. It can be called preoccupied anxious or anxious preoccupied, anxious ambivalent or ambivalent anxious. I just always call it anxious. That's what I've seen it called the most. And so that's typically what it is. A couple more things I want to say about anxious attachment is adults with anxious attachment are very sensitive to the vibe or expressions of other people. So because they don't know when they're safe and they grew up that way of like, okay, is it safe mommy and daddy or not safe in mommy and daddy or I'm never getting safe mommy and daddy, then they're always looking around them to find safety, okay? So they're constantly looking for and perceiving threats in their relationship. Researchers actually played a clip for those with anxious attachment and other attachment styles and the anxious people showed when a face morphed from angry to neutral, the participant advised the people that were watching it, they're like, okay, let us know whenever you first detect emotional distress. And anxious attachment people caught it early on. They were like, oh, this face right here, they're starting to get angry. Whereas those with other attachment styles, especially securely attached, caught it later. They were like, oh yeah, now I see how this person's angry. And it happened vice versa too. So if somebody, they started with an angry face and then had it move up to neutral, then those with anxious attached didn't feel the neutrality off that person until later on. And so again, this just showed in the research of, okay, anxious people are hyper vigilant. They are looking around at everyone around them saying, are they mad at me or are they upset about something? And so they're kind of on this like pins and needles looking at everything. And this is actually something I caught in myself the past year, especially in the relationship with my husband. I would constantly say to him, are you okay? Is everything all right? I just feel like you're a little bit angry. And he wouldn't necessarily be angry, but I could tell he was stressed and it would like cause me to feel unregulated in my own state because I was like feeling off of his energy, right? So I'm not anxious attached. I'll get to what I am here soon. But part of my style is anxious, right? So if you're somebody who's hypervigilant, you likely have anxious attachment or this other one that I'm going to talk about later that is anxious attachment as well, okay? So how can you start to change this? We'll get to some specific tips at the end. But the first thing that I want to just say for anxious attachment people that they've shown in the research helps is to pause before engaging and activating strategies, okay? So what does that mean? You start to observe around you that someone's energy or mood is changing. Don't just be like, are you okay? What's going on? Take a pause 
breathe. Take even a few minutes. Regulate your own emotions. Calm yourself down. And then start to engage in what's called activating strategies. Like thinking about the partner. Hmm, I wonder what they're thinking about. I wonder what they're doing. How are they feeling? And then watch your brain because what can happen then is your brain will start to snowball and catastrophize. And again, I've seen this with my own brain and you may not even realize you're doing this, okay? So your partner, for example, has kind of a grouchy face like my husband has sometimes. And I would engage with him and be like, no, everything's fine. And then I would start thinking about it. I was like, is everything fine or is he lying to me? Is he really unhappy? Am I doing something that making him unhappy? I really don't want to do that, right? And these were the thoughts that started going. And then I would start to get even more anxious. I'd be like, oh my gosh, like, are we going to break up? Like, is this the end? Oh my gosh. Okay. Oh my gosh. I'm 38 years old now. Like there are, you know, so many lost people out there. I've spent almost a decade of my life with this dude. Oh my gosh. And our son, like, what is our son going to do? Oh my God. My daughter, my daughter. Oh, okay. And then like, you know, the breathing is like, oh my gosh, my daughter, this, right. And so then it just, again, it starts to snowball into what research has found, the thoughts I just told you, thinking about the partner where you can't focus on other things, then starting to assume that the love is ending, or this is like your only chance at love, thinking, oh my gosh, there's not going to be other people out there because I'm only compatible with a few people, or I'm only available to a few people, or only a few people will want me. And then believing that even if you're unhappy in the relationship, that, you know, it's just like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll just make it work. It'll be fine. It'll be okay. Okay. And so this is what happens all the time with anxious attached people. And if you are relating to this, then you're like, holy shit, I am anxious attached, right? And so just accept that. That's where you're at right now. It's okay. You're going to learn how to heal it. If I can start to heal it, you can heal it. Trust me, because my attachment style is the hardest one, okay? The other thing I would say about anxious attachment is sometimes they will become so consumed to think about the person and their thoughts will snowball, right? But they'll also then start to just act like they're busy and ignoring calls because they want the partner to kind of chase after them and reestablish the security. And it isn't usually until the partner reestablishes the security, then the first person meaning if this is you, you start to feel calm. Then you're like, oh, okay, that's over. Now I can go focus on my work or whatever. And so it feels like you're on a roller coaster all the time, up and down and up and down. And so research has shown that you need to acknowledge your needs and communicate your needs of intimacy to your partner. Because a lot of people with anxious attachment, they feel usually like guilt and shame and embarrassment that they feel this way. And so they'll hide that they have these kinds of needs. And instead they need to just be upfront with the people that are around them, especially the person they're dating to say, hey, this is something I'm working through. This is something I'm healing at this time. I'm really just needing X, Y, Z. Like I need you to return my calls or I need you to reassure me of blah, blah, blah. And that's gonna feel very vulnerable to someone who's anxious attached. But here's the deal. If somebody that you are telling doesn't honor this, they make fun of you about that, that's a really big red flag to say, bye, see ya. Because people who are genuinely kind and healthy and considerate and who want you in their life will be like, 
okay, no problem. Like I can totally do that for you. I can totally help you in that. And maybe there will be a little negotiating in essence of the boundaries of certain things, but they will still be receptive and they will honor you and they will love you and they will respect you and you needing these things and that you're actively working to heal them. And I will just say that it's like, if you're somebody who's like, this is just what I need and this is it, that can be a little bit annoying because the reality is, is like, you need this in this season and don't act like you're not going to grow from this season. You need to be doing the work to heal from this, to move on and to be in that secure state. Okay. Cause otherwise you are in a place where you're asking somebody else to do the work for you. Okay. It's one thing to be like, Hey, I'm in the season. Help me out. Help me feel safe in the world again. Help me feel safe in relationships. And they're there to help you. It's another thing to be like, this is how I am. And this is what I always need. Okay. And again, to each is their own. You can decide what you want. And your partner may be like, I'll do that forever for you. And that's totally cool. But I'm just throwing that out there. Okay. The other thing is you are not dependent for wanting others to support you. Okay. Just keep that in your mind. I would be saying a mantra to myself of like, it is healthy and normal to have my needs supported by other people. Okay. Something like that to reassure you that it's okay to need other people, all right? And the other thing that research shows, and they're very direct about this, is remove people who are avoidant attachment, especially someone you're dating, from your life. Just if you're in the dating stage and you're getting kind of the vibe that this person is avoidant attachment, they just say to end it. (laughs) because it's just going to be a lot of work for the two of you to go in and heal that. Now, if you're in a marriage or you're in a relationship where you're like, yep, I'm anxious attached, they're avoidant attached, we're going to work through this, you can absolutely work through it. They just said the research that it's just going to be a harder, longer journey for you. And remember, you can't just think like, oh, this is the only person for me or my only chance of love. Instead, to open your mind, have an abundance mentality and say, whew, I'm going to get you know, in essence, a secure attached person, um, and they're going to help heal me in this. Okay. So that's a lot with anxious attachment. As you can see, this episode's getting long, but it's a good one. I'm going to keep going and go in depth next with the second, or I guess the third attachment style, but the second insecure attached one, which is avoidant. It's also called dismissive avoidant or dismissive. I see it primarily called avoidant and it makes sense because that's what they do in the this attachment style. They are very avoidant. And 25% of the population tends to have this one. Okay, so avoidant, when we go back to Bowlby's study, the toddlers ignored the caregiver when they were there. And they showed little emotion when the caregiver left. And they didn't explore no matter who was there. And what they found is it seems like these toddlers just like, didn't really care. They weren't really connected. Some would even say, oh my gosh, is that child autistic? But what they found is they dug deeper and did different mechanisms or research to find out if this child was in distress. They found out, yeah, the child was actually in a lot of distress. They were just masking it very, very well. And so this attachment style happens from a child's needs frequently not being met. And the child believes that communication of their emotional needs just has no influence on the caregiver. So what the child learns is, okay, for my caregiver to even be close enough to me for protection, but 
not get so afraid of me with my emotions that they pull away and get distance, then I need to just kind of be like this bump on a log. Like I just need to be kind of numb. And so the child uses avoidance of emotions to direct attention away from their unfulfilled desire for closeness. Because, again, they believe, this child learns very early on, that if I were to fully lean into the emotional distress that I am truly feeling right now, which again, these children are feeling a lot of it because they are not getting likely any emotional needs met, which is so hard for a child and a child's brain that is highly emotional. They just realize again, they're like, okay, I can't have any emotion because they fear if I show the full amount of emotion that I truly feel right now, it will push my caregiver so far away that I will not be able to survive because I will not even have them around. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? It's heartbreaking. But it, it makes sense. Like if we think of generations from like boomer and above, this is how people parented. Feelings were not a thing, right? It was just like, you do not have feelings here. And there was like some TikTok video I watched recently where she was talking about, I forget what year it was, sometime maybe in the 50s. Um, but before then, for many, many generations, you know, it was like you're spoiling your baby if you're holding them and leaning into emotions and all of those things. And so what happened is we have all these people with avoidant attachment. You know, it says only 25%, but it seems like a lot more, doesn't it? And it seems like a lot of men, right? Like a lot of men seem to have this attachment style. And it's so funny because I was just talking to my husband about this. I think it was last night. I was like, you know what the stigma is that boys are actually easier to raise? But I think that's such a lie. And I think it's just a lie that we've told ourselves because in essence, like the way that we raise boys is like not to be as emotional and to not have as many needs. And so they numb out when the reality is, is I found that boys are actually a lot harder They actually need a lot more support. They actually grow slower. And research has shown this. They grow slower than girls. And so they need that extra support. And so us telling ourselves that boys are easier is not helping boys. We need to just say, like, what are the needs of this child? And honoring that, right? And I think, too, you know, obviously we teach boys that emotions are wussy and feminine and bad and wrong and blah, 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 blah. And that contributes to this avoidant shit, right? So what happens when adults with avoidant grow up or kids with avoidant grow up and become adults, they fear closeness and they're less sensitive to emotional shifts. So you'll see this with people. You'll be like so mad at them and you won't even say anything. You'll just be like, they have to know that I'm mad at them. And they will be totally oblivious. Like, you were mad at me? I had no idea. (laughs) Right? And it's so interesting because research has shown with avoidance that they did this study where they put like different emotions on this screen. And I forget how they did it, but it was like click if it's something you relate to. 
And for avoidance, they didn't click on things of, or emotions of things like intimacy and closeness and love and connection and things of that sort. But when they distracted people with avoidant attachment and had them do something else and then presented them with it and had them click again when it was something they related to, they actually clicked. And so they found that, hey, avoidants really do want closeness. They really want intimacy and love and all of those things. They have just become so conditioned to not think they want those things that until they're distracted, then they realize, oh my gosh, that's what I wanted. So that was what the research showed. It's like, here's how to help heal avoid it is in your relationships, especially your intimate relationship or romantic relationship, do things like dates and activities and such where you're distracted. So like you're going on a hike with somebody, you're playing a game with somebody, right? Because what will happen then is you'll actually lean in to be more intimate and close with that person and it will help heal your nervous system because you're slightly distracted focusing on this other thing and it will create closeness and intimacy. Make sense? So start in that way. Right. And they also said that avoidance tend to engage in deactivating strategies. So this is a behavior or thought used to squelch intimacy, like focusing on small imperfections. So, for example, maybe you're sitting there with somebody you care about and you just start picking at them. You're like, oh, man, your hair is looking really off today. Or, oh, God, I hate it when you say that to me that way. And it may not even be like there in front of you. You may just have these critical thoughts, especially after a moment of intimacy. Like say you had a great weekend with somebody or say you're getting really close in a friendship, a work relationship is taking off. And then all of a sudden you find yourself criticizing that person and making little bitty digs at them. Again, even if just mentally, okay? So the other thing that they say avoidance do is they will pine after an ex, okay? So you'll start idealizing about them now that the intimacy is gone. Because remember, again, to avoid it, they don't want that immediate intimacy that scares them. And so when someone's pulled away, like an ex, they start seeing it in a different light of like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Oh, he was so nice. Or why did I end that friendship? Oh, she was so much better than I thought. And so research has said, you just need to let that go. That relationship ended for a reason, likely. And you are in one of the downfalls of your attachment theory of pining after these people who have left or you've ended the relationship with. And so instead, you need to focus on the here and now, the people in front of you, and start leaning into this intimacy and getting your nervous system safe with that, okay? And so they show again, stop those deactivating strategies. So catch yourself when you're squelching intimacy or having critical thoughts and be distracted whenever you are growing into a relationship, like have an activity that you two are focusing on. All right, so that's avoidant. All right, then we're going to the last attachment style. It's an insecure one, of course. And you may be like, well, Lindsay, you said 50% of the population is secure. 25% is uh, avoidant. 25% is anxious. That's like the whole population. Well, what was added later is this fourth attachment style called fearful avoidant. It was added in the 1980s. So earlier I said Bowlby came up with the first three in the late 1950s. Later, another researcher said, hey, we forgot one. 
and it's called fearful avoidant. It's also called disorganized or it can be called avoidant fearful. And they estimate somewhere around like three to 5% of the population has this one. And so again, these numbers aren't exact. You know, we haven't studied every single person on the globe of their attachment, they're just estimating. So somewhere in there is three to 5%, right? And somewhere is 25 and somewhere is the other 25 and 50 and whatever, okay? So fearful avoidant is the one that I have. Lucky me, (laughs) joking. And this is actually the attachment style my husband has. So here's what they found with the toddlers. These toddlers were all over the place. Many of them appeared secure. Then at times they appeared extremely fearful to a point where they would freeze. They would have jerky movements because their body was under so much stress or they would see that they were just disassociated from their bodies. Okay, so why this got left on the table the first time around, again, they were like, oh, even though this kid we know on paper has been through this horrible abuse, they appear secure, man, lucky them. But then when they dug deeper, as I said, they were like, no, this kid is under extreme distress, more than anxious, more than avoidant. They are disassociated from their bodies. They are making these movements that are so slight, but if you sit there and pay attention to it, like a little twitch twitch of their neck, you will see that they are in a high stress state, okay? So you may be like, Lindsay, if you've listened to the show for a while, you're like, Lindsay, was your childhood that bad? And I have really had to wrap my head around this because I was not physically abused. I was not sexually abused. I was not abandoned. I had some emotional abuse, but it wasn't like what I would consider horrific. And that's what's been so mind-blowing to me of like when I took in that I have this attachment style, I was like, holy shit, Lindsay, like this is the attachment style that the most abused people in the world have. Holy shit, right? And I started to dig deeper and be like, okay, something's not adding up here. Yes, your childhood wasn't ideal. But but it wasn't as horrible as some of these other kids, right? And as I dug in the research, what I found was that this style of attachment comes from children of mothers who had suffered major losses or trauma shortly before or after giving birth of that child, or they had some other kind of trauma, okay? So they either had a major loss or a trauma, or they had some other kind of trauma from their past. And most research found is like they had likely some big trauma that happened to them before they had the child, and then some trauma that happened around the time of the child's birth. And that is what caused fearful avoidant, okay? So the mother typically too likely had depression. Most of them had extreme depression. And so when I saw that, I was like, that makes sense for me. Because as I've started to understand my mom more, she's not very open about things. She's a Scorpio for your astrology people out there. And Scorpios are known for not being an open book. 
And so I've just had to kind of energetically feel things and understand things. And I've done a couple woo things to really understand of like, what the hell did my mom go through? And I'm not quite sure the big T trauma, but I have a really good understanding of her daily little T trauma. And it was fucking hell. She has been through fucking hell. And a lot of that too was just like the way people parented back in the day, right? Of like your feelings don't matter and being all over the place and being frankly abusive. And my mom is such a sensitive soul like me. And I think it just impacted her so greatly that she developed fearful avoidant attachment and then passed that on to me. And with my husband, you know, it's interesting because for a long time I've told him as he's told me stories about his childhood which he's always kind of downplayed I'm like holy shit babe like this is traumatic shit like this is like next level stuff and he'd be like oh yeah but it wasn't that big of a deal I've overcome it no big deal and finally when I had him take the attachment quiz which I promise I will share with you too if you want to go take it it's not mine obviously it's somebody else's and I got this and I said well does this feel accurate to you and he's like yeah it feels extremely accurate and I was able to then sit with him and say babe you can't deny it anymore you've gone through some really hard shit and you need healing and so I think it was just so eye-opening to the both of us to be like okay this is where we're at Like, this is what we inherited in essence. Yeah, maybe the hardest and shittiest one, but here we are and we're going to heal from it. Okay, now you may be like, okay, Lindsay, I need more information. Is this the one that I have? And I'm going to talk you through a lot of information about this one because it is, it's harder to understand. And so I'm going to talk through it a little bit longer than I've talked through the other ones. So you can really start to see, okay, is this the one that I have? Okay, so adults with fearful avoidant attachment, they have a fear of being truly vulnerable and expressing their inner feelings and needs, which sounds like avoidant, right? You would think avoidance would probably feel that way. So you you could be like, okay, well, that could be avoidant too. But they also have this feeling of guilt really easily, which again, you may be like, well, I could see anxious feeling that way. Yeah. And so that's what I want to just touch on right from the start is it feels like both of them, anxious and avoidant, combined. That's why some people even call it anxious avoidant. Okay. Because it's like you got both. You got both of the (laughs) insecure ones and we mixed it together. And I think that's why before I'd be like, well, yeah, I feel a little bit like this one. I feel a little bit like this one. I feel a little bit secure because yeah, this is where I was at. Right. Okay. So again, you feel It's hard to be vulnerable and to express your feelings and needs. You also feel guilt very easily. You have strong emotions, aggression or anger at times, but then you have great capacity and empathy for others, but often struggle with empathy and kindness towards yourself. Then you have feelings of ambivalence in relationships, often swinging from hot to cold, which again feels like anxious. But what happens is like, it's that pattern I talked about that I saw in my journal of like, come close, no, go away, come close, no, go away. Where anxious tends to be come close, 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 close. Avoidance is always push, 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 push away, right? So it's just swinging of in, out, in, out. They have the hypervigilance like anxious attachment has, but then they tend to have like poor boundaries unless they're experiencing anger of like, yeah, I told you this is what I wanted. They're passionate, but they're often emotionally volatile in relationships. Again, it's that like, I'm in, I'm out, I love you, I hate you kind of things, okay? So 
using myself as an example again, how did I see this in my relationship? Like I said, it was the hot, cold stuff. And this is what my husband and I were sitting there saying. Every time I would get closer to him, he would start to push away. And this is why he kept rejecting me. I would get close to him and be like, oh, let's do this thing. Or I would take the lead on something and he would start to reject me. And I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck? Like, I finally put myself out there and you're rejecting me in that. And so this is what we've been doing to each other, right? So it's been hard, (laughs) but also so eye-opening to know like, oh my gosh, this is it. And what's interesting, you may be like, oh my gosh, Lindsay, I fear full avoidant too. A lot of people who are in healing or helping professions, I found, tend to have this one because, again, we've experienced a lot of trauma. And so we've been to the depths of hell, in essence, and we've like, okay, we've been through those depths of hell. Like, we've healed it, and now we can help heal other people. And so, again, me just in two months of really sitting with this and realizing this is my attachment style, what can I do to heal it, has been so eye-opening. So, so, so eye-opening. The other thing I will say about fearful avoidant attachment is they have a strong fear of rejection. And so that was another thing that I saw myself this past year was just how sensitive I am to rejection. I did a whole episode on it of fear rejection, question mark. And this is something too, you know, a lot of people I think with ADHD likely have fearful avoidance. And, you know, there's some research out there that says trauma actually is what causes ADHD, either trauma in your own life or epigenetic trauma that you have inherited. I'm a big believer that I've inherited a lot of this, as I said. And so, yeah, you can be like, is this ADHD? Is this attachment? It's all the same kind of thing, right? And so just going back to of, you know, what happens whenever this attachment style develops, as I said, you know, the baby just appears secure and then it appears not secure and the mother may have had these losses, but whatever caused it, the baby has just interpreted, I can't figure out what the hell kind of strategy to use here. So I'm just gonna try all the things. And so that's why those they will swing between anxious, avoidant, anxious, avoidant. And if you were listening to coaching calls I've had or therapy sessions I've had, there's been many times that I've talked about my little self and my little self would say, I don't know what kind of mommy I'm getting today. Am I getting a nice mommy or am I getting a mean mommy? Because if I'm getting a nice mommy, then I will change my strategy. If I'm getting a mean mommy, then I'm changing my strategy, right? And so again, that's what developed that for me, right? So I actually can see a lot of people listening to this episode actually having that one. Now that I'm aware of it, I'm starting to see it in clients more of like, oh, okay, I'm I'm seeing why they're doing these things. And of course, you know, it's just been so eye-opening. So a couple things I just want to end this episode with is we talked about different ways you can start to heal each sign of attachment. I will say, you know, for fearful avoidant, you may be like, Lindsay, you didn't give as many like next step tips. I will just throw it out there. And this is what I'm doing. I think you need to hire a therapist. I think, you know, taking in like, okay, this is the most rare attachment style. This one is big. It's come from a lot of big T or little T trauma. Again, when I really sat with this, I was like, Lindsay, you need a therapist. You need to go back and you need to start unpacking some things from your past, even though 
you may be like, Lindsay, you've done all of those things. I need to do it in a way of looking at it from an attachment standpoint and just unpacking all of my behaviors in a way that's slow and meticulous and in the eyes of somebody who is well-versed in attachment. And so that's what I've done. And so that's what I suggest that you do is to go and hire somebody who can sit with you and help you heal that attachment. I think therapy is great for everybody. You may have already tried therapy and been like, that's great, but you know, I'm ready to move on. You know, I will say that the coaching that I do will help heal people towards secure attachment. And that's where, again, like, you know, I've only been in therapy now for about two months and I'm moving very, very quickly because I've already done some of this work indirectly through the coaching that I now teach. All right. So anything will help at it, but just realize, hey, you got to heal attachment and that's okay. Okay. So again, last thing I want to touch on here is signs that you're getting to being more securely attached. The first is that when issues come up, you have stress with them, but you're faster at the recovery. Okay. I see this with clients all the time. We actually were celebrating somebody in one of my masterminds recently where she was getting knocked down, but she gets up faster and faster and faster. That is a sign of somebody who's healing and getting more securely attached. And two, they're not as sensitive with negative issues of the world. They're like, oh yeah, man, that war in Ukraine, that is some heavy shit, but they're not like lost in it. They're able to sit there, sit in the feeling of it, and they're able to just kind of process it and move on. So again, they're like more emotionally regulated is what I would call it, right? They aren't as defensive when somebody presents something to them that's, you know, quote unquote negative. They aren't afraid of the criticism. They're open to changing. They're more flexible and they don't escalate things. They're just able to sit with it and be like, oh, okay, yeah, like, let me take that in for a minute. Okay, I hear you. I see you. Let me sit with that. And they come back and they're able to problem solve and move on. The other thing I will say, signs you're getting to more secure is you're responsive. So you respond to your partner's needs and have some responsibility to how their partner feels, right? So for feel for avoidant, you already have this and it's actually too much. So you need to kind of like learn to heal that. But for the other attachment styles, especially avoidant, you take ownership of, oh, my partner's feeling this way. Well, what am I doing to contribute to that, right? And they want to meet their partner's needs. They want to say, yes, that's what you want from me. Okay, let me make sure that's authentic to me. All right, it is. Yes, I want to do that for you. Okay. And I would just say too, you know, if you're feeling more secure, you're feeling more safe, you're feeling more connected, that is signs you're getting to a more secure attachment and you feel less ups and downs. So you're not feeling like, oh, I love him. Oh, I hate him. Oh, this is great. Oh, this is horrible. Right. Especially if you're anxious or feel for attachment. And I will say you're healing if you're avoiding attachment, if you're feeling more, because remember avoidance have just kind of been numb to the world. And this is all the stuff right here is, again, all stuff I do in my coaching as well is getting you to feel more safe in your body, getting to feel more secure, having less ups and downs, all of that stuff. But if you've never done therapy before, if this is just so mind-blowing to you of, oh my gosh, I'm insecurely attached, this just feels like... Woo, I don't even know where to start. Go to therapy first, spend some time there. If you've already done that, again, coaching with me is great, but just go get help. There's nothing wrong with getting help. And I will say as somebody who has spent almost a decade now doing all different kinds of healing modalities, you know, I'm so close 
to being the person I want to be, living the life I want to have. Like I'm right there. Like I'm like I'm touching the finish line. I am almost there even with this huge revelation of attachment theory. Like it's right there and it's so worth it. It is so, so, so worth it. I know you may need some time to kind of mourn and realize like, holy shit, I've got this attachment theory or this, yeah, this attachment style. And it's, it's like, I got to heal this. Otherwise, I'm never going to have great relationships. But yeah, you just got to lean in. You got to accept that like you were given this journey for a reason. I don't know why. You know, I'm on this boat with you too. I don't know why we we're given this journey. I don't know. But there was some sort of reason for it. And so the more you can just accept that, lean into it and get the help you need, the better you're going to feel. Um, in the show notes, we will put the link to the quiz that I took if you want to go take it. I'm going to warn you. I'm not associated with her anyway. I think the quiz was great. But then you get on the email list and you get a million emails. Okay. But it is a great quiz to take. It will absolutely tell you once and for all what attachment style you have. And then you can kind of go from there even more. All right, my friends. See, this episode was worth it, right? Got some ahas, I hope. All right, that's it for episode 199. I'll see you in the last one on episode 200. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning into the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast. If you haven't left a review for the show yet, what are you waiting for? Your reviews give us the feedback and momentum we need to continue to produce this incredible free content for you. Plus, when you leave a review for the show, you get a copy of my book for free. Simply take a picture of your review and submit it to lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y, epreston.com forward slash one zero zero. And you'll receive a digital copy of my wisdom from the first hundred episodes book. This book is a study guide for life. Enjoy. And of course, share the show with your friends. I believe every woman can create a deeply fulfilling life that lights them the fuck up from the inside. The more you help others succeed, the more you help yourself. So share, share, share this show. And I'll see you soon and your friends back on the show next week for another eye-opening episode. Until then, keep rocking it.